So, hello, hello. How are you? I'm all right. I'm um, halfway through the first draft of my new book at the moment, and okay. I'm trying to make myself write 2,000 words every day. Okay. So that in eight weeks, I will have an 80,000-word first draft. Okay. And I am 2,000 words behind. <laughs> <laughs> so <laughs> I've got to go back to work after this and do another, well, at least a 1,000 to kind of catch up a bit. Welcome to Talking Books. I'm Simon Mattox, and I read out loud for a living. Yes, I'm an audiobook narrator. And in this series of podcasts, I get together with an author whose book or books I've recorded, and we talk about writing, recording, and all things Talking Books. I should say, welcome. Today on Talking Books, I'm talking to 4 million copy bestseller Mark Edwards. Hi. Good, good to be here. Hello. Well, and also, this is uh, very strange for me, anyway, because um, we're doing this online, uh, which is a, a first for me. So, anyway, sorry, you were saying, so you're 2,000 words behind. Yes, yes. Okay. But that's only a day. Yeah, well, I know, but three weeks in, I've been really good. I was on 30,000 words last Friday, and now I'm on 38, and I'm meant to be on 40 by the end of the day. So it makes me feel quite stressed out, thinking I need to stay on track. Well, no, this is interesting, because I, I interviewed Susie Holiday, who you know. Mm, yeah. Um, and we were talking about words and how many words does a writer do, and couldn't come up with a definitive figure, but you've just come up with a definitive figure for you. So yeah. 2,000 words a day. Yeah, that's in the first draft, because the way that I write is that I kind of bang out a first draft as quickly as I can, and knowing that it will be messy and there'll be lots of stuff that needs editing and there'll be all sorts of loose ends and things that don't work and poorly phrased sentences and every, I mean everything that you can imagine that could be wrong with it will be wrong with it um, and then the hard work really starts when I have finished that first draft and go back and start rewriting and editing it but I can't really get the story to start working properly until I've got a great chunk of words and i've got the beginning the middle and the end in some form so do you call this susie was mentioning that some people call it a vomit draft which i think is a yeah, very, very unpleasant i know term. i know it is i wouldn't i would just call it the first draft but yeah i've okay. heard that phrase quite a lot of times okay okay i like to think that my my uh, writing is slightly more <laughs> appealing than vomit <laughs> okay so but you've got a new novel coming out Keep, keep Her Secret, Keep Her Secret is the new novel by Mark Edwards coming out on the uh, 30th of May, I believe, because I've just looked at your Facebook page. Oh, good. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, so that's the book that I wrote last year. I mean, I would have finished that one last last autumn after all the editing and, and okay. the whole structural edits process. But yeah, I'm really excited about this one, actually, because I had written three books in a row that were set in America. And I have now come back to the UK and I'm writing the kind of books that I started out with, the ones that I'm best known for, domestic thrillers or domestic suspense. Okay. So most of this book takes place in a clifftop house just outside Brighton. And yeah, I'd say 80% of the book is indoors in this house with three characters. So it's very claustrophobic and tense. Whereas my last book, No Place to Run, which came out last summer, had a cast of thousands, like almost literally. It had 
people running around the forests of Northern California. I just started reading it. I bought it on Kindle okay. and I'm really enjoying it. Right. So yeah, so set sort of, well, well, it was partly set in Seattle, wasn't it? Some of it. Yes. It's about a, a guy whose sister went missing in Seattle when she was visiting him. She's a teenager and he was in his 20s. And um, he then sets out to try and find her because this woman believes that she saw her being chased across a forest clearing. Yeah. And he thinks, well, it must be impossible that it could be her. But um, he ends up getting entangled with all sorts of nefarious (laughs) characters. (laughs) There's weed farmers and cults and suspicious townsfolk and 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 there's just so much going on in that book right i mean it was a it was a nightmare to write because it was so complicated really so So after that so how do you do it so you you've got an idea okay let's use that let's use that one for example you've got an idea um and so do you plot things out beforehand or do you not i usually don't so they almost always start with some kind of inciting incident or uh, Mm -hmm. An, an image that I get in my head, or, or a, if a vision, if you wanted to be grand about it. So, let's, for example, be, with no place. Let's be grand. Yes, okay. Mark is walking along the wild streets of Wolverhampton one day when a grand vision comes into his mind. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and in this case, with no place to run, I saw a young woman being chased across a forest clearing and somebody viewing this from a train. And I didn't know. In your head, you mean? You didn't actually see it? I saw this. it in my head. Yeah, I didn't actually see it in Wolverhampton, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> no, there aren't any forests here. No. There's the banks of the canal and the surrounding fields. And a couple of people going, Beryl, come back, Beryl. Beryl, come back. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. And then I, I, I thought that was such an intriguing image that I tried to work out if that could form the, or the start of a story. Mm. with keep her secret it started with somebody telling me a story which was um my wife's best friend from school went trekking around new zealand and when she got back she told us this story where she'd been on her own in the mountains of new zealand like a remote part um and she'd slipped she described it as a crevasse but she'd fallen kind of between these rocks and she was wearing a backpack and it had hooked on a jagged piece of rock. And it was only the backpack hooking on these rocks that had stopped her from plummeting to her death. Wow. And she managed to kind of heave herself out of this crevasse and made her way back to civilization. And she was so badly shaken by it that she decided to come home. And her, her life must have flashed before her eyes when this happened. Yes, for sure. Because she was completely on her own, that no one could have come along and rescued her. And I just thought, well, that is also a great start to a story. Mm. And originally, the idea that I had would be that somebody would save her and then she would kind of be in their debt. That idea that if you save somebody's life, then they kind of owe you. Yeah, yeah. Or either you're responsible for their life or, or they're responsible for you. Yeah. But then I mashed it together with a different idea that I had, which was about somebody trying to... To, who was in a terrible predicament where they had a secret and they were trying to protect it. And I and so the the inciting incident in this book now is that this couple are on holiday in Iceland. They're a new couple. They they knew each other at university. They've met up again 20 years later and they've kind of reignited their relationship. And they're on their first holiday together after being back together for just a, a few weeks. And um they climb up to the top of this mountain in Iceland and she's trying to get the perfect photograph of the of the glaciers 
Right. And she slips and falls, and this same thing happens. Her backpack gets hooked on this rock on the edge of this cliff, but she's dangling there, convinced that she's going to die, and she blurts out that she's got this secret. And then later on, after she's been rescued, I mean, this all happens in the first, like, 10 pages, so it's not really a spoiler. After she's been rescued, she confesses her secret to her new boyfriend, who's the main character, and he then has to decide whether he believes her side of the story and whether he's going to help her keep the secret. And then somebody turns up who overheard the confession, Ah. who wants to blackmail her, and then they have basically have to work together to try and get her and then both of them out of this terrible situation that they're in. And they basically make mistake after mistake after mistake, and it just gets worse and worse and worse and worse. <laughs> and it was really good fun to write because you're you're taking these characters and just, just really kind of putting them through the ringer and making them suffer and making them panic and get stressed yes. and, and feel like everything, there's just no way out of this situation. How are they going to get out of it? Because I love reading things like that, and I love books, I love films, Um, things like have you ever seen or read a simple plan where these guys find this suitcase full of money they find a crash plane in the woods and there's a suitcase full of money in there Um, and they basically decide they're going to keep the money but they're going to wait a few months to see whether anyone turns up looking for it and then they'll divide it up and they'll be able to start spending it and they they swear they're going to keep it a secret this that they found this money but hey they don't, I'm guessing. They don't. No. And it all starts leaking and every, and then more and more people get involved and people start dying. And and it's I just, I love things like that. And so it was partly influenced by that. It was partly influenced by old noir movies, things like Bonnie and Clyde or Double Indemnity. Right, right. Where you've got a couple, you've got a kind of secret or they've done something terrible together and their they're kind of passion for each other and they're, they're um, this what's it called, a folly adieu, where you get this couple driving each other into making bad decisions or doing terrible things. Right. I find that really interesting as well. So the, the book is full of film noir references, and I just love things where you have a, a romantic relationship with this with this darkness in it. Yes, because I was going to say, because, I mean, I've read a, a couple of your books and then narrated... Um, the Retreat. I did The Retreat, and I did uh, The Lucky Ones as well. Oh, Yeah. Uh, um, and the relationship thing is, is is quite key, isn't it? It is, yeah. There's a, a romance in all of my books. Mm. It's either a kind of happy couple having their lives ruined by somebody else, like in The Magpies, <laughs> or it could be that they meet during the book and, mm. and a relationship mm. starts, or they're breaking up at the start of the book, like in Folly Home, because they've experienced something terrible. Yeah, it's it's absolutely core in all of my books, that romantic relationship. And, and do you think that's partly what makes them so appealing to people? Maybe, yeah. I mean, obviously, um, even in crime novels, something like um, the Robert Galt Braith books with Strike, it's the will they won't know that people really love between yeah. those characters. Mm. And the same with lots of different crime series, because people just love reading about other people's relationships. Yeah. And because it's so hashtag relatable, they... Uh, <laughs> oh, you oh, you modern man, you. Uh, well, I've probably a few years out of date. <laughs> uh, this, this is one of the funny things is I have teenagers. I've got a 15-year-old and a 16-year-old. And I quite often have teenagers in my books. So I'm always having to ask them, would somebody say this or... And they just laugh at me and, and think I'm just ridiculous because I get it so wrong. 
Yeah, they just roll their eyes and go, oh, my God, Dad, no. That is, like, so last week. Yeah. Yeah. I was writing a phrase yesterday. I was like, do people still use the word butters to mean ugly? And would they say, she's butters, mate? Or would they say, she's butters, well butters, bruv? She's well butters, bruv. Or would they say, mate? Or would they say, <laughs> bruh? <laughs> and if I put this in a book, is it just going to look like some old person yeah. trying to sound down with the kids? What was the conclusion? She's butters, mate, was the conclusion from my 15-year-old. Okay, because I also noticed that, that mate was a thing that we, as, as men, would say yeah. to other men. But now, girls will say it to other girls as well. Yeah, and um, <laughs> a bit of fascinating insight from a middle-aged man. Yes, thank you. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> and then I also have in the book that I'm writing at the moment. Um, there's lots of there's lots of social media oh. extracts. So you've got somebody basically being stalked via. I'm, I'm, I don't really specify whether it's Instagram or TikTok or or Facebook. I, I kind of just call it his social media account because I didn't okay. want to be too specific. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, I'm messaging my 16-year-old saying, give me some comments that people would use on an Instagram post to say that they really liked it. She's like, they'd be going, I'm screaming with the skull, the grinning skull emoji and things that I would just never even think of putting in there myself. So yeah, it's an absolute minefield. Yeah. But in Keep Her Secret, the characters are all in their late 30s, early 40s, or a little bit younger than that. And they just speak like normal people. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> thank, thank god for that <laughs> i didn't have to worry about any kind of young person speak yes and do your kids well your, your teenagers do they read your books my daughters have read a few of them yeah so my 16 year old who actually doesn't live with me she lives with my ex in australia wow, wow. okay yeah so she's she's a long way away but we we're constantly in touch one of the books the hollows was about a dad taking his teenage daughter on holiday to a to a creepy cabin site in Maine. Right. That was my kind of Stephen King tribute novel. <laughs> and it was very much based on our kind of relationship because they live apart in the book and then they kind of get together to go on holiday and because I often go out and visit her and we'll go and stay in an Airbnb or something. Mm, mm. Um, so she read that one. I think she found it quite embarrassing, the fact that I'd written this book that was kind of about our relationship. And I put lots of stuff in there that was about, that was the familiar to her that she said things that she would say or, Mm. or do. Um, And then Poppy, my other daughter who lives here with me, um, she's read, I think she read the retreat actually, and she's read one or two of the others, but they, they don't tend to read much crime. They're more into, um, one of them's into fantasy Okay. Or romantice, as they call it now. Oh, romance, fantasy. Fan- oh boy. Hybrid. Okay, that's a genre I didn't know about. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stick my neck out and guess that people aren't going to come and knock on my door for me to uh, narrate the audiobooks to any romanticy novels anytime soon. Um, <laughs> but I don't, well, you never know. <laughs> you never know. It's the hot genre at the moment, apparently, because of really? TikTok. So why explain that to me? I don't get that. Well, I mean, one of this one of the amazing things that's happened over the last few years is that this book talk thing has exploded. And for years, I was trying to persuade my daughters to read books. And I mean, you couldn't set a better example than me and and their 
their mothers because we all read loads. My house is absolutely full of books and I'm a writer. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like they weren't set a great example, but they would just rather watch YouTube yeah. or Netflix. Yeah. And my son, I've got sons who are younger, who are 11 and 9, and they don't read at all. They hate, they're not interested. No, my, I mean, I have two sons who, well, my, my, my eldest son is 25, is dyslexic. But, and, right. and I think because of that, just doesn't really read. I mean, very occasionally. No. My, yeah. my younger one, who's 21 now, is starting to read and starting to borrow books from me, actually, which is kind of, okay, that's good. Kind of cool. I, you know, suddenly got into Kurt Vonnegut yeah. the other day, and I was like, oh, okay. yeah, that's fantastic. Well, I yeah. think young men are getting into audiobooks in particular. Right. But going back to book talk, and it is mainly girls. Okay. Um, it's this is again like a middle-aged man trying to explain something to <laughs> to another middle-aged man. Yeah, there's just been an explosion in particular types of books or certain titles. So there's an author called Colleen Hoover who has gone from being a kind of mid-list author to probably the biggest-selling author in the world at the moment. Wow! Off the back of book talk because lots of tiktokers kind of separately without colleen actually doing anything herself this wasn't some strategy where she went onto social media and did lots of really funny and and clever stuff to build an audience it just happened organically this this incredible audience of like 15 16 year olds suddenly appeared all of them loving her books and buying her backlist and then there's there's lots of other authors who've who've become very successful off the back of this as well and it's fantastic because suddenly my 15 and 16 year old are, are bookworms. They, okay. They'll sit around reading. I went on holiday with them last year and I was like, come on, let's go and do something fun. And they're like, no, we just want to sit and read our books. <laughs> it was like really frustrating, <laughs> but wonderful as well. Oh, amazing. So somebody goes on, they go on TikTok and they go, I've just read this book. It's yeah. totally amazing. You should check it out well they'll feel themselves crying so they'll feel themselves like reading the end of the book crying or um having some other big emotional reaction to it and that's why romance does particularly well if you so tear jerkers um colleen hoover writes romance but with a crime element okay but there haven't really been any big crime or thriller authors take off because of because of TikTok. You also have Instagram. I mean the book community on Instagram is massive as well. Bookstagram as they call it. Wow. Lots of bookstagrammers on there taking photos and making videos of their bookshelves and the books that they're reading and their to be read piles. Um yeah, I mean it's it's far more effective than at the moment, I'd say any other form of marketing. And if you go into Wardstones or Barnes and Noble, you'll see the front table usually says TikTok made me buy it and it will have all the books oh, that have been wow. that have wow, taken wow, off because wow. of because of TikTok and it's it's usually backlist titles as well so the secret history by Donna Tarr is massive on TikTok that's really? 30 years old yeah great novel i mean well, it's my favorite novel of all time is so it? it's okay. yeah yeah i love that novel it's terrific they've never made a movie of it have they no they they sold the rights several times okay. um yeah, they made the Goldfinch badly. Yes. But yes. they never made the secret history. No. Which is probably a good thing in a way. So I, I did a podcast with, with Louise, uh, Louise Voss, who you've co-written uh, six novels with, I think. That's right. And she, yeah. and she was saying, apart from you being you know, a wonderful human being and writer, she said you're also <laughs> a marketing genius. So do you consciously keep on top of this stuff? Or is that just kind of accidental because you have teenagers that you know about this 
TikTok thing? And Well, I used to work in marketing, but I mean, it was quite a long time ago. So I left in 2012, which was when Louise and I got our first book deal. Right. So 11 years ago. So it used to be that I had to keep up with it because it was my job and I enjoyed it anyway and I was interested in it. Digital marketing, that was what I did. Right. So when Louise and I started out self-publishing, I did use a lot of what I learned in my day job as a marketer to kind of try and get the word out about our books and the kind of tactics or strategies that I, that I learned from my day job. And I think I was a very creative marketer, really good at coming up with ideas and and trying different things. And I think we invented some of the things that people do now as a matter of course. Like what, would you say? So for example, when we launched Catch Your Death, I called the title was Catch Your Death for fans of Stig Larsson and Dan Brown. So that those (laughs) those... Those names came up and when people searched with Dan Brown or Stig Larsson on Amazon, our book would come up. Now this was, this was a, this was the wild west days when you could (laughs) try anything on, on Amazon. And after a few weeks, by which point we were already number one on, on Amazon, they banned that, uh, (laughs) that particular approach. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Approach because lots of other authors have started doing it and copying us. Because they'd seen uh, it working. Yeah, yeah, sure. And we also used we also used subtitles like a gripping psychological thriller, et cetera, et cetera, as subtitles. And now look on Amazon, like every other book, every other Kindle book uses a a subtitle like that in the right. title. Right. And I also use blogging and social media. I mean, I was obsessed. I was doing it three or four hours a day. Really? Back then, marketing. But what happened then when I started selling books and became a full-time writer, the marketing side of what I do completely fell away. Well, you haven't got time aside from anything else, presumably. Exactly, yeah, because I'm because the most important thing now is just is to write the books. And the second most important thing is to is to kind of keep in touch with your existing readers. Mm. So for me to answer emails and Facebook messages and to kind of have a very active community on on Facebook and uh, well it's it is mainly Facebook because that's right. where the demographic is right okay for me until you write your first romanticy novel mark obviously yeah well that, well that's the other thing about TikTok is that there's only maybe only one or two examples of authors setting out to build an audience through TikTok and being successful because it looks bad on TikTok if you're salesy. Sure. If you do anything that looks like you're the author trying to sell your book, it just just doesn't work at all. It, okay. It's it's a complete waste of time. Because yeah, they're very savvy, I guess, because it's mainly young people and they're very... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So you just have to hope that you've written a book that is going to appeal to that that audience. That's That's really all you can do. Right. It's just luck. And you see a lot of authors go on TikTok and just... It's just embarrassing dancing around and pulling that weird pouty face that people always pull. And <laughs> oh, come on! I want to. I want to see you on TikTok dancing around and pouting. Come on! I think for the new one, you know, <laughs> and pointing, pointing at little speech bubbles in the air, thought bubbles. <laughs> oh yes! Oh yes! Yeah. I mean, I. I so I keep, I only really know about TikTok because of um, my daughters 
And just because I'm interested in what's going on in the book mm. world, and, and mm. you need to know, if you're a commercial author, you need to know what's selling and why it's selling. I think it's, it's um, important to keep up with that stuff. But I should be posting on Instagram much more than I do. I should be making little videos and reels and things, which I, I'll get enthusiastic about it like once a year and do it every day for a few weeks. And I'm like, this is so much hard work. I should just be yeah. writing my books. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's very difficult to get that that balance. And there are lots of best-selling authors who aren't on social media at all. They just don't do anything and it doesn't seem to harm them. But I think for most of us, being available to answer readers to interact with with readers, respond to their tweets or their Facebook messages or their comments on your posts. I think all of that stuff really helps. Because it's, I mean, it's a whole new world to when, mm. you know, 20 years ago when you would read a book and you would there would be no way of getting in touch with the author. Well, you'd, you'd have to write them a letter. Yeah, or via yeah, the publisher or, probably, who probably wouldn't, who yeah. might pass it on or might not or... Yes. or whatever but now it's or, so immediate isn't it yeah and i think that's great i love the fact that readers can contact me and that i'm accessible and also the other thing that must have been strange 20 or 30 years ago is that you your books would come out and you probably wouldn't have any idea how they were being received no you might see the the sales numbers or you briefly appear in the bestseller list if you're lucky and you'd get some kind of feedback when you went and did events and you might get reviews in newspapers or magazines if you were mm -hmm. like a really well-known author. Mm -hmm. But apart from that, you were just completely ignorant. Now, it's a kind of blessing and a curse. We've got Amazon reviews and Goodreads reviews. Yeah. You've got your Amazon ranking. You've got your follower numbers on Twitter. You know exactly how popular you are and how well your books are doing and how they're selling. Do you read your reviews generally? So what I do is I read them in the pre-publication period because I can't help myself. So what happens is advanced copies go out to reviewers and bloggers and just people who are like active. Influencers. In the influencers, yeah. Oh my exactly. God. Is that a term? <laughs> it is, Oh yes. my God, I just got a term right. Exactly, yes. Okay, go on. So there's a thing called um, NetGalley where people can go and ask for eBooks and and get them for free in exchange for reviewing them on goodreads or amazon and, and shouting about them on social media so in the in the months leading up to publication you'll see a, the reviews will start to appear on goodreads and i can usually not help myself from looking at those <laughs> but then once the book is out i will stop looking at goodreads entirely and then i will look at amazon maybe for the first two or three weeks not obsessively i mean i used to look obsessively i used to look like 20 times a day. Now I'll look every few days right? just to kind of keep an eye on like what's the star average and is there, are there, are there any common things that people are saying, good or bad, about this book that they really like or really dislike? Because I actually think that, again, as a commercial author, it's quite useful to know this stuff. Yeah, sure. I think that you have to be careful because sometimes the silent majority or like something that the noisy minority hate. Right, yes. Sex, for example. So if you put a lot of sex in your books, nobody who loves the sex scenes is going to go on Amazon and say, wow, this is really hot and I really loved it. <laughs> Unless it's that kind of book. It's like a romance book. 
But all the people who hate it are going to shout about it and say, why is there any need for this, this disgusting film? I mean, also, just to go back to the term romance, because, I mean, about three or four years ago, um, Brilliance, somebody from the the casting director said to me, oh, you know, we've got a couple of romance novels. Would you be Mm. up for doing that? And I said, yeah, sure. So they sent me these three novels. And I was like, I'm sorry. Oh, really? It was, yeah. I mean, it was was steamy. It was was soft porn. I mean, it really was. Um, Well, I guess it's erotica. And and I I tracked down the author. She was, you know, a lovely little old lady in her her (laughs) 70s, somewhere in the States. And um, yeah, yeah, it was quite kind of like, okay. Um, So that's obviously a kind of romance is now code for, you know, erotica. Erotica. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know. And um, sometimes I, I do slightly worry about my teenage daughters reading some of this stuff, but then I think, well, there's a lot worse out there in this uh, internet age. <laughs> yeah, no, sure, sure, sure. Um, but some of my books have got some quite graphic scenes in them, especially the earlier ones, because I grew up reading James Herbert and Ian Banks and people like that, and they always had loads of filth in their books. Yes. I used to read out James Herbert's scenes in the playground to entertain my friends. <laughs> I remember taking the second rat's book, Lair, into school, and there's a great scene where this couple, I even remember their names, Babs and Alan, are basically <laughs> having an affair, <laughs> and they sneak off into the woods. <laughs> and there's probably like three or four pages of very graphic sex before the rats come along and eat them. <laughs> So oh. I, when I, st- I didn't know any better when I started out, and I was thinking, well, you have to have sex scenes in books. So I just put put a few in, and and um, I feel sorry for my audiobook narrator having to read them out. Yes, it's um, <laughs> it's an odd, it's an odd thing as an audiobook narrator to have to read out yeah, sex scenes because okay. you you're kind of like, how much, <laughs> how much emphasis do I give this? How you know how kind of sexy yeah. do i go with it and i think in the my 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 <laughs> feeling is that you just kind of play it as straight as play you can straight, really yeah. without yeah. you don't kind of over egg yeah. it which is perhaps not the yeah. right <laughs> phrase but you know what i'm saying anyway um exactly yeah yeah you don't want to sound like you're panting as you're reading no no it. exactly Look at the rustle of a kleenex box yeah yeah <laughs> I love the fact that you were doing that in the playground innocent days i mean god you know really oh, know. in a way you know i know i know um, in fact, a James um, Herbert book, "The Magic Cottage," was the was the mm. was the first novel I ever uh, recorded, and it was back in ninety three oh, wow. or something. I mean, it was a long, wow. long time ago, back in yeah. the days when I went into a, a very nice studio, and you know. Mm. Yeah. Um, so, so I haven't done one of yours for a while, Mark. Why not? What's going on? You've got other people. Well, I doing don't them, really, mate. I, I mean, don't really get much say in it. But I mean, I. Sorry, go on. I will put your name forward for Keep Her Secret. I haven't... <laughs> okay. Um, I don't think it's been made yet, even though it's coming out in May. Probably not. So no, I, will, I will pursue that. Well, that, I, I'm not doing this to, to get more work, but obviously, <laughs> obviously I am, so thank you. Mm. Um, yeah, so you say you don't get much choice. I mean, it's interesting to talk to, to authors about this, because obviously, because yeah. I'm an audiobook narrator, I, I'm, I'm kind of interested as, as to how the process works from your end as well. So you don't get a choice. You get... What usually happens is that they will send you um, two or three voice samples and say you can choose between these okay. these people, and then okay. you they will have read out a paragraph or a couple of paragraphs, and just based on that, I can either say yeah, I, I like mm-hmm. B or C best, 
Or I can go, actually, I don't think any of them are right. So, for example, they might be too posh. They might be too well-spoken for my kind of lower middle-class character. Okay. Or they might have the wrong accent. So because one of my characters in one of my books is from Wolverhampton, the narrator did the whole thing in a really thick black country (laughs) accent. And I, I mean, I didn't even get... I didn't hear it until after it had been published. And I was getting lots of people saying, oh, my God, have you listened to this? She's really sounds like she's from <laughs> Birmingham. Because that's the trouble, you see, as a, as a narrator. Because <laughs> you go, oh, brilliant. You know, Birmingham, Wolverhampton. And you go, okay. Yeah. But it, but yes, and you're right. And I, and I know that was the yeah. problem initially, wasn't it, with um, Blissfully Dead, is that the detective was from Wiltshire or had spent – you know, some part of his childhood uh, in Wiltshire. Yeah, yeah, so the guy yeah. ended up going, you know, all right, my love, I've come, <laughs> I've come to arrest you on behalf of the, uh, you know. And that's the trouble is that it, you've got to try and you've got to try and keep it fairly subtle. I think. Yeah, definitely. But it's tempting. Definitely. It's very tempting as a narrator just to go, oh, brilliant! It's an accent. Yeah, because I mean, the retreat was set in Wales, and yes. I remember that you actually there was that song wasn't there so there's a nursery rhyme that That's he hears right. he hears a voice he hears a young girl singing this welsh nursery yes. rhyme through the walls and i'd got the lyrics of this this song from a welsh speaker who lived in the, the part of the world where the book was set and didn't know how to pronounce it so i'd written it down as she'd sent it to me right it was something that they used to sing when they were children, but it's not very well known. We couldn't find any recordings of it online at all or on YouTube or anything. So she made a little audio clip of her That's singing right. it. That's and right. And then I forwarded that on to you so that That's you right. knew how it was pronounced. So, yeah, sometimes it's important to get it right, especially you need to get the pronunciation right. But if you'd done that whole book in a thick Welsh accent, it just wouldn't have it wouldn't have worked. Yes. Well, mind you, I must say for for the lucky ones, uh, the the book one of your in books Shropshire. Like, was set in yeah. And when I was like Shropshire, I was like, oh great, thanks, mm. Mark, because that's <laughs> and I and I did a lot of research actually. Oh, I, mean, I didn't mean days and days, but I mean I you know I I, I went on yeah. a lot of different sites to try and find a kind of definitive Shropshire accent, yeah. and there kind of isn't one. No, and also the part where it was set, which was Ironbridge, which is, I mean, almost in Wolverhampton. It's kind of right. just between Wolverhampton and Telford. Yeah. Okay. You would actually have a slightly black country-ish accent okay. anyway. Okay. But a kind of mild one. Yeah, I think, I, I think I, well, I hope, I think I went fairly subtle with it. So, I'm, And then the other I'm character happy. was from London. Yeah. So, and she's coming back in one of my future books. Oh, great. Imogen. So oh, right. oh, cool. That's an exclusive. Nobody knows that yet. <laughs> oh, great. You heard it here first. Yes. Um, Yeah, because I really enjoyed writing her because she's funny and it's got a bit of an attitude. So she's a fun character to write. So do you find yourself doing that? Do you sort of keep hold of characters in your head and you think, oh, yeah, that that was great. I'd like to see what happens to this character in another setting. Yeah. Well, it used to be that I would... I mean, I do have a Mark Edwards universe, so there's always Easter eggs and things... That, f- that thread through the books so for example the first one is the magpies which is about these neighbors from hell and this this um woman called lucy who turns out to be a serial killer and then she had cameo appearances in all the books after that either people just reading about her case on the news or seeing okay. 
hearing about her appeal or the, learning that her autobiography had just been published and things like that. There'd always be a little cameo. Oh, great. And then I did two sequels to that book where she came back properly. And then I brought Imogen from The Lucky Ones into those sequels as well and set one of them in Shropshire okay. so that I could kind of mash those two books together. And the retreat was about a novelist who wrote a book called Sweet Meat, which is a yeah. horror novel set in Wales. And I actually wrote and published Sweet Meat myself last year. I oh, did wow. it as a novella. So um, I wrote the story. I took the story from within the retreat and, and changed it a bit, but turned it into a full book. And then in The House Guest, which came two or three books after the retreat, the main character is an actress who gets a role in the Netflix adaptation of Sweet Meat. And then in The Hollow, somebody's watching it on Netflix and watching the actresses in the house guest star in the book, the adaptation of the book that was in the retreat. So there's always... There's always these... little threads that go through. Yeah, well, and it's really good fun. It's so much fun and, to do and, that. And people must appreciate that and, and spot them and, yeah, and they enjoy love it. looking they out love for it. them. And, yeah. yeah, and I think The Hollows had loads of Easter eggs and I put at the end, see if you can spot all the Easter eggs. Right. And email me. And it kind of helped. It, it encourages um, interaction with your hardcore readers as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I literally forget the books that I've read almost as soon as I finish them. They just empty out of my brain to make room for the next one that I read. So yeah. it, it amazes me that people have such good memories and pick up on the details and remember the characters but yeah, the book I'm writing at the moment, which is, again is about the dangers of social media, but it's from a it's from the perspective of someone who is totally naive about the internet and has never even had a Facebook account. And when he finally is persuaded to go online, he doesn't really know <laughs> how to interact with other people and and doesn't realise the dangers that are lurking out there on the internet. Yeah, because it's a huge thing, isn't it? I mean, it's a huge, yeah. and it must it must be a concerning thing for you, you know, with 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 teenage girls, and then you've got mm. boys that will, you know, in a few years will become teenagers, and yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I think they're actually incredibly savvy, and they're taught a lot about they they have internet safety drilled into them from when they're right. at primary school, right? And they know never to interact with anybody or give out their address or send anybody a photo or do anything like that mm. yeah frightening but but the good thing is that you are because you know you are you're interested in the whole kind of social media thing anyway because of the books and because mm. you know it means that you're probably a lot more on top of it than a lot of parents um you know i'm not sure i was that on top of it really yeah well i think um when you write this kind of stuff about where you're writing about psychopaths and and dangerous people and people lying and and lurking behind false identities. And I wouldn't say it twists your view of humanity, but it does make you feel slightly suspicious of people. It can't help but kind of get into your... I I think in natural, I'm a very trusting person and I usually take people at their word. But I think as time has gone on, I and I've written more of these books and I've read more of these books and listened to all the podcasts about about the weird things people do to each other. Oh, I know. I know. Catfishing and, and so on. Um, yeah. Then you 
become wary you become wary of trusting other people which is a shame really but it's a scary world out there it is a scary world it is a scary world Mm. um yeah which leads us nicely to karaoke (laughs) (laughs) because well there's nothing scary about that (laughs) scary oak scary oak now there's a genre there's a genre um because I would never have known that about you, but having listened to your the interview on, on Audible, you mentioned your love of I karaoke, love karaoke, which is a love I share. So what led How you? How did you, I get so, in? Well, no, so Japan. So yes, yeah. so you were there. You know, um, lost in translation. Um, yeah. That wonderful, wonderful scene in the in mm. the karaoke bar, and that's what I've always kind of wanted to do. Was and there yeah. are the, there are those those um, karaoke booths karaoke yeah. booths over here lucky yeah. voice is yeah. where i've been to a few times yeah. uh and it's just great i know so i lived in tokyo for a year just a year i mean it felt like much longer because it was such an intense experience i bet yeah i lived there in 2002 when the world cup was on oh, wow. um which was also amazing like seeing the japanese go crazy during the world cup they lost their reserve completely it was like they started the World Cup as one kind of people and ended it completely really? different. All, all obsessed with David Beckham as well. And yeah, I, I was kind of dragged along by some colleagues to a karaoke thing and I'm going, oh no, I'm not going to sing, I'm not going to sing. The moment I got that microphone in my hand, it was like, this is what I was born for. <laughs> Honestly, I'm, I love it more than anything else, I would say. When I'm, when I'm doing karaoke with a group of friends and you have those big kind of sing-alongs where everybody's belting out yeah. <laughs> yeah. the big the big numbers towards the end. And then I've got lots of songs that I do that I like so doing got, myself. You've got your own little playlist, haven't you? You have. Yeah, I'm, I do have a bit of a reputation as a mic hog and I have to really watch myself <laughs> and make sure that everyone else gets, gets a turn. But um, I'm trying to control the flow of the playlist so that uh, okay. we, peak, we don't peak too early. I was going to say, it'd be great to go and do karaoke with you, Mark, but now I'm not so sure because <laughs> you sound like a bit of a control freak. It does sound a bit like scaryoke, as, as you said. Yeah, I just thought of that scaryoke. I'm definitely going to use that. That's the great. other thing I thought of was scare B&B is also a subgenre. Because <laughs> uh, so, there's a lot of books and films now about people going good. to stay in Airbnbs and terrible things happening, like um, Barbarian. Yeah, that sounds like a straight-to-video movie, scare B&B. <laughs> But scary okey, I'm going to write that. Scary okey. It's a it's a horror film about some people who get trapped in a karaoke booth, <laughs> and these demons come out of the microphone and they take control of their bodies and make them sing, <laughs> and um, sing until sing themselves to death. Oh, okay. So they can't stop singing. Yeah. Oh, I like that. That's yeah. good. So listen, thank you so much for doing this. Um, You're welcome. And we haven't, really, we haven't even really talked about kind of audiobooks at all. We've just been talking about books. books oh, were we is... meant to? Well, not really. <laughs> we don't have we to. We did a little bit. We did a little bit. Did a little bit. I, let me recommend my favourite ever audiobook. Oh, good. Go on, then. I mean, it's non-fiction. Okay. Um, my favourite audiobook is Wild by Cheryl Strayed, which is a story of her hiking the the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail. Oh, okay. And isn't that they didn't they make a movie of that? With, they did uh, with Reese Witherspoon. Reese Witherspoon. Yeah, and the film is really good, but okay. the the book, and I listened to it as an audio book. I think it's a life changing book. It's absolutely wonderful. It's so 
entertaining and kind of funny and well-written, but it's also very moving. And when you finish listening to it, it makes you feel makes you feel different. It makes you think differently about your life and, and the things that you're doing and that you're achieving. Wow. So I really highly recommend that. And I also recently listened to Bono's old memoir. Oh, okay. And amazingly, it's full of music and sound effects and singing and and um and I I can't believe that more people haven't done that. So he actually sings snippets from from his songs, like between chapters and Oh great. Yeah, that sounds which, really good. Which nobody ever no. does. No, no. And he's got he's sitting there with an acoustic guitar, like doing acoustic versions of the of U2's greatest hits. And then talking that lovely Irish accent that he's got about about his life. And it's a really nice book to listen to, even fantastic. if you're not a big U2 fan. It's fantastic. The production values are, fa- are amazing. I, um, I, I met his son. Um, oh, the one who's in Inhaler? Yeah. And I think it was, it was just after sort of one of the lockdowns had, had finished. And, and we were chatting to these five lads afterwards, and he was so sweet. He was such a nice lad, and he was just saying, I, "Did I look awkward on stage? Because I don't really know what to do with myself, and I just oh, really? feel kind of really weird." And I was like, "No, you look great." You know, I was also thinking, and also, if you want tips, couldn't you ask your dad? Yeah, no. but anyway, no, they were, they were they were great actually. They're very good. They're good. Well, he's one of those nepo babies, the well, nepotism uh, babies. Uh, oh, is that a thing? Nepo baby nepo is babies. one of the hot words of the year. Yeah, hot phrases of the year. Nepo babies. There are millions of them out there. <laughs> <laughs> I went to school with one of them. Stella McCartney was in the year below me at my school. Oh, uh, wow. Well. Because Paul sent his kids to the local comp. So, so okay. all the McCartney where, where kids did you, went Where to was my that? Where did you grow up? In Rye. Oh, okay. In Rye in East Sussex, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, didn't, I lived in Hastings, but I went to school in Rye. Okay. For complicated reasons. <laughs> okay. And how, how was Stella? Was she all right? I, to be honest, Did I didn't her? know her. No. I didn't know her, so I couldn't say anything about well, she was her. The year you'd you, see so. her. Yeah, you'd see her around. Okay. Um, and then Mary was older than me, and James was even younger, I think. But yeah, they were. You'd see the McCartneys wandering around town, and they used to come into our shop that we we've had a greengrocer's, and Paul those, used to come in to buy his veg. Those bloody McCartneys are in again. Christ. Oh no. <laughs> All right. Listen. Thank you so much and um keep her secret as we said is out on the 30th yeah. of may That's and right. um who knows who'll be doing the audiobook i will i will uh <laughs> i'll put another word in for you well okay i don't listen to them anyway do you not hardly no God, mate. i listen i do i've listened to one of the novellas and i will listen to the little extracts but I don't listen to them all the way through because I just find it, t- I just would just be listening to it thinking, oh God, I should have written that bit differently or that didn't work. Or, oh, okay. Or, it's because yeah. you don't want to hear what you've I've, written rather than you just think, oh my God, I can't bear listening to this person's voice or I can't. No, no, it's not that. It's, it's about once a book's done, I just want to park it and move on to the next okay. one. No, no, okay. I get it. So I rarely go back and revisit my stuff. I kind of just. But when you're writing them, are, are you aware? At any point that you think, okay, so this is going to be an audiobook and someone's going to have to narrate this. And I mean, you know, does it affect in any way what the way you write some scenes or? No, no, I don't. I don't think about it at all. 
um, I don't think, oh, that's a horrible name to have to pronounce or um, there's some alliteration there that's going to sound, but I just, <laughs> I mean, maybe I should think about it, but I just don't. No, no. Um, no. Yeah, as you can tell, when I made you research unpronounceable Welsh <laughs> children's nursery rhymes. <laughs> yeah, that was fun though. Listen, I'll, I'll let you go because you've got to get back. You've got to write another 2,000 words, mate. I'll just do a 1,000. All right, just do a 1,000. Okay. Yeah. Thank you so much. You're welcome. It's been fun. Can't wait to listen back to this to find out what I was rambling on about. <laughs> <laughs> it started as just another night out. A group of friends gathered together to laugh, to drink, and to sing. Sweet Carolina. Unlimited songs. First I was afraid, I was petrified. But only one microphone. Let's have a go, Mark. No, one man, one microphone. Oh, please, Mark. No, no one gets out of here until I finish my playlist. (laughs) He just kept singing. Mama just killed a man. And singing. Islands in the street, that is what we are. And singing. Karaoke coming to a vocal booth near you. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. If you'd like to hear more in the series, please visit our website www.talkingbooks.org.uk.